Hi, everybody. Welcome to Faith Bridge this morning. I'm really glad that you're here with us today because, well, because I imagine I wouldn't have to convince you that there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. Here we are in the midst of a global pandemic, which has brought health burdens and anxiety to many people, triggering financial burdens, with many people wondering, is our business gonna survive this? Add to this now the injustices, which aren't new, but which perhaps due to being home and having a little more time during coronavirus, we've, we've paid more attention to than in the past. Injustices like what happened in Georgia to Ahmed Aubrey or then to George Floyd in Minnesota. And these events have heightened racial tensions to levels few can even remember seeing before. And you know, there's a, I, I, I realize there's a lot of disagreement about all of these things I just mentioned. But I think one thing that we all can agree on is that we all so desperately need a touch of heaven in our world and on our hearts and on our lives. And so today we're gonna have a, a different kind of service, a little simpler, fewer moving parts. I'm just here with some of our musicians. And what we're gonna do is we're just gonna move back and forth between the word and song. And then at the end, we're gonna take communion, the Lord's Supper together, like we did on Monday, Thursday before Easter. You in your home and us here. So to be ready for that, why don't you, if you didn't already, maybe get a plate and put some crackers or some bread on it and pour a cup of grape juice or, or wine that you could dip your bread or crackers into. And you get that ready and get your Bible open too. We're gonna to be going to Luke chapter 10 in just a few moments, because I really want I want you to lean into this service and let's take a journey together. It's a journey that might not be entirely familiar or comfortable for us, but it will be good and God will be glorified. So let's ask him to touch our world today, more specifically to touch our hearts. Let's give him our attention. Let's give them our ears and listen and let's surrender ourselves anew to him. Let me pray for us. Lord, won't you meet with us now? Help us as we take a journey, different kind of journey, looking at your word, singing, contemplating and pondering. Here we are, Lord, in a very unique season. One, the likes of which none of us has ever been through, and there's many aspects to it. Wouldn't you lift our heads and our hearts, help our eyes to see you. Make us soft that we might experience your touch, feel your presence, even in our homes or patios or cars or wherever it is that we're watching or listening. Won't you meet with us now? We pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Mm, how I live for the moments Where I'm still in your presence All noise dies down 
Lord, speak to me now. You have all my attention. I will linger and listen. I can't miss a thing. Lord, I know my heart wants more of you. My heart wants something new, so I surrender.
time sing all I want All I want is to live within your love Be undone by who you are My desire is to know you deeper And Lord, I will open up again Throw my fears into the wind I am desperate for a touch of heaven. Luke 10, starting in verse 25. It says, on one occasion, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? To which Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers and they stripped him of his clothes and beat him and he went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, when you and I read this well-known passage. We instinctively tend to focus on the Samaritan. But what I've been thinking about this week is particularly the priest and the Levite, the two who passed by the victim first. You know why the priest passed by? Well, anybody hearing Jesus would have known back then that Leviticus 21 gave a long list of instructions for these holy Jewish leaders called priests. And the key comes in verse 11 of Leviticus 21, which says a priest must never get unclean by being near a corpse. See, but the, the victim in Luke 10, he wasn't corpse, he wasn't dead. It says he was only half dead. Yeah, but I'm sure the priest was thinking, well, could roll him over and maybe he's alive. But what if he is dead? Then that's really gonna be a problem. So he thought to himself, sometimes you just gotta keep going. And then the Levite comes 
And all the priests were from the tribe of Levi, but not all the Levites were priests. So the Levite would have been considered holier than most Jews, but not quite as much as the priests. So, you know, Jesus listeners would have thought, Ah, okay, he's a little less holy. He could touch the, the, the dirty or the dead and he'll be the hero. He'll be the guy that stops, right? Because he's not a priest, but he didn't. Why didn't he? Well, we don't know, but we can surmise maybe he hoped one day I will become a priest and I don't need something messy like this on my resume. Or maybe it's because he was thinking, wait, how do I know if I stop, the robbers aren't still around here somewhere and they're gonna jump out on me too. Now, I, 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 gotta, I gotta stay safe. I gotta keep going. Neither could see helping that victim. Oh, they'd both seen him. Clearly enough to step to the other side of the road. <laughs> but spiritually speaking, their eyes weren't open. They just couldn't see him because their hearts were hard. So I'm wondering, what's the condition of your heart right now? I give you my life. I give you my trust. Trust you in your 
Then comes the Samaritan. Now the Jewish leaders listening, they would have reflexively thought, Samaritan, boo, hiss. Samaritans aren't even Jews. They're half-breeds, they're mutts. Jews and Samaritans, they avoided each other. Never did the two overlap. That's why it was so shocking one day in a different part where Jesus actually goes out of his way to talk with a Samaritan woman at the well. His disciples couldn't understand it. And she was shocked too, but it changed her life. But on this day, in this passage, Jesus' listeners would have known, well, the third guy, he's a Samaritan. Guarantee you, he isn't gonna be the hero. He's not gonna stop to help one of our people, the victim who was a Jew. There must be a fourth guy coming. He'll be the hero of the story. That's surely what they were thinking. So you can imagine the shock that they felt when Jesus turns it all around the Samaritan and says that Samaritan saw him and took pity, showed compassion to him. He, he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He, he, he got involved. He took him to the inn on his donkey. He even invested his money on him and paid the innkeeper and said, look, I'll pay you even more. I'll reimburse you when I come back through for any other expenses that are incurred. Look after him, would you please? Now this, Jesus knew, was really gonna push his audience's categories. Since they were Jews, it was just incomprehensible to them that a Samaritan would stop and help the Jew because they're thinking if the victim was a Samaritan, I sure as heck wouldn't be stopping for him. So why is he stopping for one of us? Ah, because Jesus had every intention of modifying their mindset. He was pushing them to quell their categories. And you know it because then he looks back at the lawyer who'd started the whole conversation in verse 36 and says, now, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And what's the lawyer say back? The expert of the law replies, the one who had mercy on him. He just couldn't bring himself to say, Samaritan. So he says, the one, the one who had mercy on him. 
We see in this text, Jesus was talking about racism. He was talking about racism way before you and I ever got to the subject. It's nothing new. You see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament, you see it in the early church. Peter struggled with it. You see it in the, in the Middle Ages, you see it in the Reformation era, you see it in the current church today. Uh, even the last week or so, I was talking to a black brother from a different church in a, the other side of town. Actually, I'd never met him before, but I found myself on a Zoom call with him and several black pastors, along with several of us who were white pastors. And the convener had, had asked us, and we'd agreed beforehand, the white pastors, let's bring no solutions. Let's just bring ears inclined to hear and listen and learn. And so one of our black brothers said, brothers, we don't doubt when you tell us, I'm not racist, we're not racist. We believe that. But don't you see, he said, that's not enough. I'm thinking, well, what more is there? He said, why aren't you anti-racist? That was a new term for me. I, 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 you're gonna have to unpack that one a little bit for me. He said, it's like this, brothers. Suppose after years of being friends, serving Jesus together in this same city. Suppose one day you were gonna stop by my house because you had to pick up something. But suppose you got the address a little mixed up and you, you stopped several houses down from my house. And as you parked and got out your car, suppose several black guys pounced on you and roughed you up pretty hard. And as it was happening, suppose you glanced down the street and you saw me standing on my porch and you thought, huh, at least he's there. At least he sees me. At least he's gonna do something. At least he's gonna say something. But then suppose you saw me seeing you and I just turned on my heels and went inside. What would you think? You would think, what just happened? But I, I thought we're friends. I thought we're brothers. What do you just act like you don't even, you don't even know me? You just turn and you just went inside? He said, brothers, that's how we have felt every time, like something like Ahmed Aubrey or George Floyd happens when you just turn and go inside. He said, your silence is killing us. It's killing us more than you can imagine. And it happens all the time, but you brothers, you just don't see it. You turn your eyes. You can't bring yourselves to, to say anything about it, let alone do anything about it. And your silence is deafening because we know Without your help, nothing's ever gonna change for the better. 
But some of us have been wondering if maybe, just maybe, one of the reasons that God has allowed the COVID to slow everybody right down right, down right now is, is, is that maybe this time you've just had enough time to turn and look and listen. That's what we're hoping. I'm telling you, I, I was a gut punch. I'm staring into the Zoom screen as are all my white brothers convicted, challenged, speechless, looking like a deer in headlights, weighed in the balance and found wanting. There was a moment that broke me. I've prayed a lot about it in the days following. And it felt like the Lord has said to me, oh, you're not the only one at Faith Bridge who's got a bit in common with the priest and the Levite. <laughs> you, you got your clean, categorical lives and you moving through as quickly as you can. I felt like the Lord said, a lot of Faith Bridge has some growing up to do in this area of discipleship. But the speed of the leader, speed of the team. The leader has to go first, I know that. And so that's why I'm leading out. That's why I'm making this confession right here, right now. But I wonder, would you let the Lord search your heart today? Because I bet if you would, he would probably bring to mind one or two scenes, situations, thoughts that you might well need to make a confession about to him. Oh God of heaven, please hear this our confession.
This is our prayer. Sing this. Some of you have been doing in the last few days what I've been doing, particularly following the interview that you watched that L.A. and I had this past week. You've been using some of the time to reach out to your friends, black friends particularly, and you too have been asking, wait a second, have you felt racism? Many of you did listen to that interview that we did and you like I, you wrote in and you said, I had no idea. And you know the reason that we had no idea? It's because you and I just never took the time to ask. I've been having a lot of those conversations in the last week or two. And as I've been listening and learning I've been realizing how incomplete my understanding of the subject has ever been. One of my preacher friends in a different church said, Ken, the other night, I had to console my wife because she just started sobbing, sobbing. I said, what was she sobbing? And she said, he said, I, I couldn't tell. Finally, when she, she could talk again, she said, I'm worried about our son who's friends with one of my sons. And they go to school together. I said, what, what are you worried about? What's she worried about? He said, she's worried about just the challenge that we have along the way that you don't exactly have. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, suppose, suppose in a couple of years when our boys are driving and suppose Suzanne forgets the noodles. So she'll say, hey son, I need you to run over and get the noodles at the grocery store. And he'll run over and get the noodles and come home, 
you don't even really think anything about it. You don't worry. He said, but what you have to understand is that we have to think through several things that you don't have to think through. We have to think what time of day is it? What grocery store is he going to? Which route is he going to take? Does he know what to do if he gets stopped? I'm thinking, wow, your checklist, your grid is, it's, it's, a, it's a lot longer and more complex than, than our checklist or our grid. He said, because see, Ken, <laughs> we have to teach our children not just how to live, but we also have to teach them about how not to die. And another pastor told me, the fear running through all of our heads now, after watching that video with George Floyd, now we gotta figure out and teach our boys yet another thing on the list. If you ever get pulled over, you always keep your hands on the wheel because hands visible are hands safe. Keep your insurance card in the visor so you don't have to reach, reaching is bad. And then we're gonna have to figure out and teach our boys. And then if they put you in cuffs and they put you down flat, here's how you hold your neck so that you can get still a little bit of oxygen while looking like you've expired. Now I know what some of you are thinking right now, you're pushing back. You're saying, Ken, you're getting a little bit carried away here. And because look, Ken, here's the thing. If you're gonna bring up racism, you gotta talk about reverse racism because there's a lot of black people who don't trust or even like white people. So you gotta talk about that too. It's gonna be fair. <laughs> but you know what? I felt like the Lord said, that's not your worry. That's not your problem. You know why? Well, one of my gospel-centered pastors of black church, he said, Ken, trust, we are doing everything we can to diffuse the rage and the anger and the hatred from bubbling over to get our boys and our young men back to Jesus and back to forgiveness. When he said that, I concluded, yep, you don't need my help. I don't have anything to come and teach your people about reverse racism because the Lord is saying to Faith Bridge, you have got plenty of learning and growing and healing to do here in our own vineyard. <laughs> we gotta work on us. Let's work on the log in our own eyes. See, the question we've got to wrestle with is Jesus' audience was wrestling with their own racism in that Samaritan passage is, is this question. Are you anti-racist? Anti-racism actually does something, at least says something when racism surfaces and manifests, even when it's not convenient, even when it may be a little bit messy. Anti-racism speaks out and says, hey, wait, wait a second, that's not right. Anti-racism takes the time to ask your black brother or sister, wait a second. Let's have a conversation. Have you ever felt 
that? Have you ever felt those consequences of racism? I think you'll be surprised when you start asking. I started really going on this journey about two years ago, walking alongside a trusted friend or two who are black. <laughs> but I think I've made more measurable progress in the last two weeks than in all those two years combined. And with every conversation I'm having, I, I'm learning. I'm just learning how much my black brothers and sisters have had to journey through that I never had to think about, and you probably haven't either. And I'll just tell you, they're, sometimes they're not the easiest conversations to have, but I'm telling you, every one of them brings healing. When I just ask the question and say, hey, just talk, I'll listen. I got no lectures. I just see them opening up like a flower in the sun. One of those calls this past week with a, 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 a black pastor friend. I thought, well, this is probably about a 30 minute phone call. When we hung up, I looked at my phone and we had been talking for three and a half hours. I'm telling you friends, God wants to do a healing. He wants to do a healing in our hearts and white hearts and black hearts and brown hearts and every kind of heart there is. Cause that's what our God is in the business of doing. And that friends is, is where I believe he's leading Faithbridge into a new dimension of healing.
Why would we respond to a message like this? Not with crossed arms, but with outstretched arms, stretched out towards others in love? Because while we were yet sinners, Christ stretched out his arms towards us and died for us, becoming like one of us, Philippians 2 says. He took on human flesh. He joined the human race, even though he was God, and doing so meant giving up a lot of privilege. But why did he do that? Because he knew that nothing would ever get better here among us if a savior didn't come. And so the father sent the son into this world who lived the life of sinless perfection that none of us could ever live so that he could then be suitable to die the death of punishment and consequence that none of us could ever adequately fulfill. And then on the third day, he conquered the grave, which none of us would ever conquer. And then he says, now I want you to come and join me. I want you to take up your cross and I want you to follow me. I want you to become part of my kingdom because you see, it's a kingdom that'll never end. It's a kingdom where, well, one day there'll never be more any, there, there, there will be no more crying, no more sorrow, no more tears. My kingdom is a kingdom where no one tries to lord power over another person because everybody knows who's king. I wonder, friends, if, if you've come to know this king, Jesus. And I suspect some of you would say, oh yes, I, I know the Lord, I love the Lord. I'm not sure about all that you've said today, but if you're saying that, I would challenge you. I really want you to wrestle. Because there's a part of your soul that you've still held off from his Holy Spirit 
moving into and softening and transforming. And that's the next step. That's the next step for many of us in the discipleship journey. See, that's what I want for you. It's what I want for me. It's what I want for all of us at FaithBridge. Because imagine if we at FaithBridge and other Anglo churches all around the city, and then if all black churches and all brown churches and any other kind of churches were preaching the same message of Jesus and the reconciliation that he came to bring between us and the Father, then finally, finally we would all be really ready to come and sit at his table. The table where no one has to wonder who's sitting at the head of the table today? Because he is always the master of the banquet. I want us to do that. I want us to soften our hearts. I want us to come anew to follow him, to sit down at the table, not with a sense of puffed up, uh, sort of that, that feeling inside of, hey, well, I'm willing to do this, but deep down I know I'm a little bit better than the rest. But since everybody's doing it, I'll do it. No. Where we all come with thankful hearts because we realize in no uncertain terms, if it weren't for Jesus, if it weren't for what he did for us on the cross, if it weren't for his grace, we would have no hope. That is the posture that makes us ready to come to the table. Thankful, receptive, ready. So that night that Jesus gathered with his disciples, before he went to the cross, you remember he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, now this is my body. And it's broken for you. So that you might take it and eat it. Whenever you come to worship, and as you do, you'll remember why it was that I allowed myself to be broken so that you could be whole. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for the, you for the forgiveness of your sins. And I want you to, to drink of this as well. And as you do, you'll remember all that I poured out for you in the way of grace. And so if you're ready to journey now in a new way, in a deeper way, in a more surrendered way, even yet, perhaps in ways that you hadn't even realized until today, I wanna to invite you to come to the table. We'll be doing it, as I said, virtually in all the homes and patios and wherever else you are. You've got the elements. I'll pray and then I want to invite you to partake. Lord, won't you meet with us now in all the different places that we are, wouldn't you unify our spirits around the elements of bread, cracker, grape juice, wine, that we might be one, Lord, that we might experience your touch, your grace, your power, and subsequently, your hope.
the hope that you've come to infuse into all of our hearts, which in this era we are in particular need of. A new touch of your grace, a new outlook of hope. Wouldn't you meet with us now as we commune with you? In Jesus' name, amen. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into
I'm really glad that we could start on this journey together. But it's not over. There's still more that we need to keep learning, prayerfully, talking about, discovering. We gotta keep going with it. If you're with your family, your friend, or, why don't you stay and just process this a little bit. Resist the urge, though, to shave the edges off the message to fit what you already uh, believed. You've heard me say before, my, my sense is nowadays, people don't take in news to get information. They're just looking for affirmation. Let's not be that kind of person. Let's let the Lord push us and stretch us no less than he pushed every single person sitting there that day when he told them about the Good Samaritan. Let's let our own souls wrestle with it, no less than they had to. Okay, have a good week.